Okay, we are live in the Bagino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark Cast Iron Building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. Uh, we'll start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Uh, and tonight, we are glad to welcome Bob Woods, the author of Yankee Greats 100 Classic Baseball Cards, published by Stuart, Tabori, and Chang. And it's a pleasure to welcome you here, Bob. Thank you very much. And just quickly, for those in the audience who may not know, and those listening to the podcast who may not know about Bob, just a little quick bio. Bob Woods is a freelance writer who grew up in upstate New York during the 50s and 60s, loving the Yankees and collecting Topps baseball cards. His affection for the Yanks only increased when he moved to New York City after college and later intersected with his career after he teamed up with Topps to create Topps Magazine. Bob's ongoing association with Topps ultimately led to this labor of love. It's all true. <laughs> you can't get better than that. That's it. So I figured a good place to start, since uh, there's a lot here, and it's really a, it's a beautiful book. Thank you. Uh, is maybe you could just give us a little background about the history of Topps, how it started with four brothers. I think very few people know about this, so maybe you could just... Yeah, and you know, I, I will say off the, the you know the, the story. I'm not like a huge baseball card collector, and it's it's really um, by my association with Tops when I uh, worked with them to create the Tops magazine, uh, starting back in 1989, that I really learned about the company and and um, you know kind of from the the people who started it. Uh, Arthur Shoren was one of the uh, the sons of the founders. There were the four Shoren brothers um, who grew up in Brooklyn, I believe, and their father was in the, uh, as I remember, the um, gas station business or something like that, and he sold premium items, as a lot of gas stations did back then. So then they started, um, he with the three of his brothers, uh, started a gum company, and they sold uh, little penny uh gum pieces that you would buy when you bought cigarettes. You know, it might be like 18 cents for a pack of cigarettes and those two pennies you would take, they had little jars of gum, uh, smoker's gum. And um, so then, I forget what they called it back then, but then they, the story goes that they bought a sugar company called Tops and they adopted that name and, and uh, you know, the rest was history from, from there. But then they uh, I think it was after World War II they had uh, they started bazooka bubble gum and so gum was was their main business and because they sort of had this premium background they wanted to help promote the sale of the gum so they started making cards and they had different types of cards they had cards about you know great Americans uh, presidents um, and they had some baseball players but it wasn't until 1951 that they came out with a, uh, a set of cards. They were called the uh, the Bluebacks and the Redbacks, and it was a, a, a game that you would play with baseball cards. And then in 1952 was the the, the seminal uh, top set that included the uh, Mickey Mantle rookie card that's on the, the cover of the book. And um, 
they, you know, from that point, and now there were other uh, card companies before then. There was Gaudi, and um, I think Don Russ was uh, was around before them, but uh, uh, and Bowman, absolutely. And uh, so then it, it, it just took off from there, and they produced uh, cards every year. And there, there were little battles that went back and forth. Um, you know, you couldn't find Topps uh, cards for Ted Williams, for instance, uh, for a couple of years in the early 50s because they would sign exclusive contracts with some of the, the star players. And so then Topps, um, you know, found a, a creative way to uh, end that by buying Bowman. And uh, <laughs> so then they had every, had everybody. And uh, then for a long time, they were pretty much the, the premier baseball card company. And, you know, people were, they would come out with their set and they would come out a couple times a year. They would have, you know, a series one that would come out maybe in January and then uh, another set in, in uh, the summer. And, uh, you know, like, like lots of other kids who grew up there during that era, the 50s and the 60s, I collected the cards and I had older brothers who collected and um, that really, you know, kind of anchored my Yankees fandom. Uh, at that point, because you know, buying the little wax packs and opening them up and looking for the Yankees cards and trading with my next door neighbor who was a, uh, a big uh, uh, San Francisco Giants fan, Willie Mays fan, and, and then you know, uh, San Francisco. Um, but uh, and then it, it was really, you know, I, I collected cards for a while, and then through high school, um, I, I sort of followed the Yankees where they kind of stunk back then and I my, my fandom uh, dwindled but then when I moved to New York uh, in 1975 they were just starting to, to come back and it was 1976 when uh, Chris Chambliss hit the famous uh, walk-off home run against Kansas City and uh, I had a brother who had moved to Florida uh, from Syracuse that's where we grew up in Syracuse and he called me about five minutes after Chambliss hit his home run he says I'm coming up we're going to the World Series. So uh, that was my very first baseball game, uh, Major League Baseball game. It was the 76 World Series game three against uh, the Cincinnati Reds, the, the big red machine, and they got smoked. Uh, four games, you know. But I got to see, you know, Thurman Munson and Lou Piniella and Willie Randolph and, and uh, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and, you know, all these Hall of Famers for, for you know, two games. Well, they destroyed the Yankees, but it was it was you know solidified my uh, re-entrance into into fandom, and then uh, you know worked in New York for uh, you know many years, uh, starting then, and then uh, became a freelancer uh, in 1989, and I had a, a friend who I used to work with, who happens to be here this evening, and he had gone to work for Tops, and so we kind of came together and the. Baseball card craze had uh, come back with a, with a vengeance uh, because there had been a, a, a lawsuit against Tops because they uh, had a monopoly on, on Major League Baseball, and Tops lost the case. And then the, the floodgates opened, and all the different card companies came in, which was great for the collectors uh, in, in many ways because there were so many more cards available. And then. The baseball card shops, uh, which were you know ubiquitous, beginning in about '89 for five years, six years after that, and um, Tops had this idea that they wanted to try to uh, 
promote their cards through a magazine uh, and the whole card collecting uh, hobby and, and, and baseball in general. So we uh, launched the, the Tops magazine, uh, which came out four times a year. And uh, it was uh, uh, lovingly put together. We have the, uh, the art director is here as well from, from those years. Uh, the, the first issues uh, we put together on a, on a little Macintosh uh, computer, uh, which, you know, uh, it, was, it was an amazing feat that we could uh, put that thing together the way we did. You know, desktop publishing back then was like, you know, the buckboard compared to today's <laughs> cards, cars. But, um, and then, you know, I, I just really became much more involved in understanding about the baseball card hobby and, and uh you know, our, our readers, uh, all these, uh, a lot of kids, a lot of adults, too. And um, so we would, you know, write about uh, Don Mattingly, and, uh, you know, we would interview him and then bring in his card collecting. You know, Don, when did you start collecting cards? And, and uh, you know, we talk about his rookie cards. And so we really had a nice way to, to bring together the card collecting and uh, the players' uh, stories. And... Um, so we did that for until 1994. Uh, we had uh, that was when the, the the baseball card shops started to you know the, the business actually became so saturated that it, it fell off. Yeah. And um, but um, I never lost my uh, fandom for the Yankees. You know, kept that up uh, very strongly and did a lot of other projects with Pops over the years. And then I guess it was. Uh, a year ago, uh, summer, that uh, uh, Tops contacted me again and then said that they were doing a book with Abrams, which is the parent company of this right. uh, imprint, and uh, on Yankees greats. And I said, you know, that's me. You know, this, this, this is right up my alley. So uh, again, it, it, it sort of intersected everything for me, and and um, uh, spent about I don't know five five months or so uh, putting it all together and. Here it is. So when they approached you, it was already determined it would be strictly about the Yankees, not about yes. baseball cards in general. Right. And, right. and uh, you know, and that the whole format would be because they, they Abrams and Topps had a, a, an agreement uh, to try to you know promote that Topps name, the brand, and um, they thought this was a you know a perfect way to, to, to bring it together. And Yankees being sort of that uh, you know the uh, greatest sports franchise in the world. I figured start with that, and um, there's still you know talk about doing other teams. Uh, we've we've already started to put together uh, a Red Sox uh, greats, which was uh, you know for a Yankees fan, I had to really <laughs> put on my hat of, of uh, impartiality, and and um, but uh, we'll see what happens. It's sort of on hold right now. Well, let's. Uh Let's go to the foreword of the book, which happened to be written by two guys by the name of uh, Dan and David Mantle. And if you could just talk about... Well, we knew we wanted to have somebody, you know, uh, uh, you know, big Yankee persona to uh, do the foreword for the book. And we talked about different people and, um, you know, maybe a, a, a Reggie Jackson or uh, Yogi Berra or someone like that. And... Yogi, who would have been perfect, was was just really not available um, to do it. And then uh, we decided that the, the Mantle brothers. Uh, now Mickey uh, and his wife, they had uh, four boys. Um, there was uh, Mickey Jr., 
uh, Billy, who was named after Billy Martin, um, and then uh, Dave and Danny. And um, unfortunately, the uh, uh, Mickey and, and uh, Billy uh, passed away. And uh, so the two brothers sort of carry on the name. They are, they've been involved with Tops over the years. They do some card shows, and uh, they have a memorabilia business of their own in, in, in Texas. So we contacted them, and, and they were amenable to, um, to work uh, on this. So um, for me, it was, it, was, it was a great thrill because uh, you know, the Mickey Mantle was, was just the, the idol of all Yankees fans uh, who grew up in the, in the era when I did. And um, so we had a, a three or four discussions on the phone uh, and, and telling stories about their dad. They, uh, you know, going to the ballpark when they were kids. It, it was funny, they, they talk about it in, in this forward too, where growing up in Texas, they were much more uh, football fans uh, than baseball fans, even though their, you know, their father's Mickey Mantle. Um, so they would come to the stadium and they'd be throwing footballs out on the uh, uh, Yankee Stadium grass. But they loved getting the baseball cards because in the clubhouse they would always have... Uh, free cards for the kids and um, but they talked about uh, because uh, later in, in life after he retired uh, Mickey became very involved in the baseball card shows and uh, was a, a huge draw and um, so his, his kids were older then and they went with him um, and they talked uh, almost reverentially about how he came to understand what those baseball cards meant to the fans because they would come up to him with you know with their cards and, and tell him stories about you know that, that he was their hero and you know he was at that point in his life where you know, he'd had a lot of downfalls uh, after his, his baseball uh, career ended and um, he was he, I think it was part of that that whole humility uh, that, that, that he came to later in life and, and after he got sick and um, he, he spoke to his sons very much about this uh, uh, connection with, with the fans that came through the, uh, the baseball cards. And um, uh, that's pretty much what they wrote about in, in, the, uh, in the foreword. Right. And so now you, when you're approached to do the book, I guess it's, it's become somewhat obvious that Mickey Mantle is going to be maybe the centerpiece or the cover, but... So now, did they tell you they only want 100, or did they tell you who the 100 should be? And how, to, how no, what they, was that process? They like? said that we were going to do 100. And, and, but the, the, the one major caveat was that um, because Topps cards were going to illustrate each player, um, and Topps cards didn't start until 1951, that left out, you know, from the beginning of the uh, uh, the franchise up until 1951, and all those great Yankees teams and, and Hall of Famers from from the, even before Babe Ruth uh, came to the Yankees. But fortunately, um, there were a number of those players: uh, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, um, Tony Lazari, who had been featured on Topps cards subsequently to their careers. So we we were able to to keep them in there. And then it was just from you know 1951, really. Um, although we could get players from the who started with the team in the 40s, but they had to be on Topps cards. And um, so they said, you know, you come up with the list. And so that it really wasn't that difficult, but it was it, it was a lot of fun to you know just kind of 
reminisce about, especially from the from the fifties and the sixties, you know, with the Bobby Richardson and, and uh, uh, you know with Mickey Mantle and, and uh, uh, you know a lot of those players from when I collected cards, and then you know bring it up into the uh, uh, the nineties or so, and then we had decade by decade. And then we uh, also uh, added some up-and-coming players so we could have someone like um, uh, Phil Hughes, who's pitching tonight, and, and um, Nick Swisher is in there, and uh, uh, Brett Gardner, some of these you know, rising stars. So uh, we came to a, you know, a nice round 100. And, and we also included the managers because you, know, you can't... Uh, uh, Talk about the Yankees without, you know, Casey Stengel and, and uh, you know Billy Martin and uh, even you know Lou Pinella and uh, of course uh, 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 Joe Girardi's in there as well. Joe Torre, of course. Was there uh, was there disagreement on who the hundred would be as you were going through this, or it, it went fairly smoothly? No, I think I think it, you know the the, the list. You know, with the Yankees, it was fairly easy. Um, I think I don't know if there was if there was any debate over you know someone who was left out or, or not there. But um, the, the the big chore was then to to uh, find the appropriate cards. You know, because we wanted them to be uh, from the era that they. You know, it wasn't always going to be the rookie card because maybe when they were a rookie, they weren't uh, hadn't reached stardom yet. So we wanted to have something that would. Um, be, you know, sort of central to their career too. So I, I believe we had a, a Reggie Jackson card um, that uh, was about his uh, '77 World Series when he hit the, the three consecutive home runs. Uh, so we tried to match them uh, as, as well as we could um, to you know some great moment that they had. It's funny because it, I guess it says a lot about the, uh, the difference between the Yankees and the Mets history, and I can say this as a Mets fan. <laughs> we had uh, Matthew Silverman here who did a book about the 50 greatest Mets in team history, and Tom Seaver, there's no, there's no question, Tom Seaver's number one, and he kind of ranked them, but by the time he got down to like the 40s, he was really struggling to find guys who were, you know, worthy of the list. <laughs> You know, with the Yankees, you could just go on and on. You know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, and uh, the were there any surprises that came uh, as you were doing looking through cards to match, as you said, to match up Reggie Jackson to a specific card, or any cards that you found that you forgot about, or just things that really. Well, it was it was more of, of especially uh, again from those ones from uh, when I collected as a kid. It was really fun to see them again and and. Um, and you, you could see uh, Tops had a great, uh, I don't know if it, it's still up on their uh, website because it was the uh, 50th anniversary and they were running a big promotion. So they had, you know, I don't know how many thousands of cards on, on the website and you could see the fronts and the backs of them. So I was totally distracted while I was doing this because, I, I, you know, even if it was someone I wasn't going to be uh, uh, writing about, I'd, I'd sit there and... Uh, on my computer, and you know, look at his card, and look at the back, and and and, and the backs of those cards from from the uh, uh, the 50s and 60s are so charming because they had the uh, funny little uh, cartoons on them, and and just the way that they wrote about the players is completely different from uh, the way they do the cards now. And uh, you know, you could you could almost smell the bubble gum. 
you know, which which they did away with. I think it, what was it, ninety four? I think they uh, dispensed 92. with ninety two. Was it? Yeah, because actually we sell. We always try to sell unopened packs here. So right now we happen to have eighty seven and ninety two, and ninety two was the 92. first year without it. And occasionally somebody will buy a pack and they'll they decide they want to open it in inside here <laughs> to see who they got. And I always say, you know, listen, whatever you do. I am not responsible. Please do not eat the gum. <laughs> and I look at the gum, and the gum looks exactly the same. I don't know what is in this gum, but it has not changed a bit. Well, you know, I was just uh, shown something that I hadn't seen before. If you hand me the book, I'm going to show you something that, just as you say that. Um, the front of the book <laughs> has, has a, a slab of gum. <laughs> That's what it looks and, like. And the, and, the, and the back cover. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even see that until just this yeah. evening. But I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, too, about, about the gum. When I first started working with Pops in, in 89, they were still in, in Brooklyn, uh, where they had uh, for a long time... Um, it was sort of a lot of the the assembly of the cards. They might have them printed in different places in the country, but they would do a lot of the packaging there in the uh, this old um, uh, building in Brooklyn down by the old Navy Yards. And uh, they also produced the gum in, in this building. So I remember when I first went there, it looked like it, 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 it had snowed the night before <laughs> because everywhere, the, every corner of the building, there was this fine little powdery <laughs> sugar from, from the gum, and it permeated everything. It was, it was like asbestos or something. <laughs> and, Could be. <laughs> do you know why they stopped, or uh, do you know what happened? I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there were, you know, uh, in, the, in the collecting world when, when oh, somebody seems I, to know. I, I heard a rumor was that. Stop making putting the gum in the cars because they were damaging the cars. Well, you know, in, in in the card collecting circles, you know, when they uh, you know uh, talk about the condition of a card, uh, gum stain is is a you know a real uh, deterrent. You know, so you can have a really great card. You know, the corners are sharp and everything else, but it's got a gum stain on it. So I think I think you know that 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 may be it. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was a long time ago. No. Late 30s, early 40s. Our parents used to give us pennies. We went to the candy store, and it was a gum machine. Put the penny in, put it in, out came a cover, and you opened up the cover, and it was a slab of gum, three sheets, hmm. same size as a baseball card. And we got a card, and we were all black and white. And we used to play with them. Well, who knew? I mean, it's, it's, it's like, well, you know, there's a famous story from, from Topps from that 1952 set that had the Mickey Mantle card in it um, that, uh, you know, nobody collected the cards um, back then, and, and Topps didn't even keep the cards. I mean, they were taking up space in their, in their warehouse. 
So at the at the end of this, you know, the season, the ones that were left over, um, the traditional thing was they would incinerate them. So in other and words, there's no record of all the cars that I threw away. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got them. But but there was one day that this great story, uh, Cy Berger, who was the uh, sort of the godfather of baseball cards at Topps, he, he designed the '52 set. He always said, uh, you know, on his kitchen table uh, at home. And um, but the incinerator broke down one day, and they needed to, you know, they had these cards ready to, you know, be burned up. So they hired a boat uh, someplace in, in Lower uh, Manhattan. And they took all these cards, put them on a boat, and went out into the harbor somewhere off of New Jersey and just dumped all these <laughs> sets of cards overboard. And um, I'll be my cards. Yeah, right? Well, I always thought that, that, that I would you know, maybe start a, a class action suit against the, uh, the mothers of America you know, for throwing away the baseball cards, uh, the Barbie dolls, uh, the Lionel trains. You know, and all that other stuff that became valuable. The Batman comics. The comic books, of course. But then, as I started to think about it, I said, you know, their perfect defense would be, well, if we hadn't thrown that stuff away, the stuff that still remains wouldn't be so valuable. <laughs> so, I gave up on that. <laughs> By the way, before we get to the next question, we don't normally have a commercial break, but for those listening to the podcast, that the question about the, uh, the cards from the 30s and 40s that was Mo Reznor. Mo did an event here uh, a couple months ago, and Mo has a DVD out called End of an Era. It's the only footage that exists from the last game ever played at the Polo Grounds from the New York Giants, which, by coincidence, we happen to sell the DVD here. <laughs> so for those listening at home, you can always contact the clubhouse. We're glad to ship it. Uh, but it's called End of an Era, and it's a fantastic documentary. Cool. Uh, and that's the end of the commercial break. Uh, next question or comment? Yeah. I have another question. Uh, uh, in 1989, Cyberger interviewed me to write the back of the baseball cards. And uh, we, we talked about uh, some of the plates that he had. And he told me also that those boats took some of the plates from some of these original cards because he didn't want it. He wasn't going to make them the following years. And he also, those also went in the ocean as well. Wow. Yeah, there was a, a lot of stuff. Well, you know, um, when we were doing the, the Topps Baseball Magazine um, and we wanted to, you know, uh, use the cards to illustrate different articles, and um, I said, well, okay, now we need, you know, this this card and, and this card. And they said, well, we don't have them. And, or well, they did have them. They, they, they were in, um, like, photo albums. And somebody said, okay, let's, you know, they didn't have, like, boxes of, of, of their original cards unopened or anything. Uh, somebody took them and they put a little glue on the back and they stuck it in the card. <laughs> and it was like that, that black sort of uh, uh, crepey paper. And, and we, you know, sometimes we could just, you know, kind of maybe, maybe, you know, take one off of there. But a lot of times we had to go out to um, the collectors. And, and we had a couple of good sources. And we said, okay, we need, you know, 25 cards to uh, come in with our friend Vinny. <laughs> and Vinny uh, would get us the cards. So. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> what do you know about the baseball cards with fabric in there? Yeah, you know, I, I was I starting to tell Jay, I mean, I, I, I haven't done uh, as much in, in the baseball card uh, uh, world uh, since the Topps magazine, but I've just sort of followed it, you know, in, in my association with Topps and just reading about it. They started, I don't know, maybe. 
10 years ago or so, the, the relics cards, they call them. And so they'll take pieces of uniform. I think they might have, you know, at this point, like maybe dirt from, from uh, stadiums and some pieces of, of, of bat. And, and uh, you know, there are all these different things that they try to add value to cards and, you know, some with signatures on them. Uh, with the um, 50th anniversary, the, the, the diamond uh, uh, anniversary, they actually had diamonds, little little uh, specks of diamonds in, in certain cards. There's a big newspaper article a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, I forgot to bring it, where uh, it was almost 90% fluid with these things. And Fleer and Thompson and the others really knew that they bought a name. Because buying the used pieces of Fleer was too expensive. So they went for it. So now my son in law. Bought some of these things, you got about 30 of them now, so they may be worth much. I got three over here. How do you know if they're real or they're not? Well, they had that whole authentication. Uh, you know, it's really like a like a business that started up when when the memorabilia and, and uh, became you know more and more popular there in the 80, late 80s and, and 90s. You know, because um, I mean, it was like forever known that, that a lot of the Mickey Mantle uh, signatures, Babe Ruth signatures, uh, Garrett were. You know, sometimes the, the the guy in the clubhouse, the clubhouse manager, was sitting there signing the cards because you know that was part of what the players were supposed to do. But you know, they were in uh, getting their legs wrapped or uh, having a hot dog or something, and uh, so they had the clubhouse guy sign their cards. So there's been you know a lot of that you know kind of uh, not necessarily fraud, but just you know counterfeits. And so that they, they have these companies that somehow or other they try to authenticate uh, the, the, the genuineness of, of these articles. Is there real? I mean, what I what I had read about the uh, what Mo's referring to is the pieces of the little uniform that they snip and they put into these cards. Top suspected that that there was an issue. They contacted the FBI, and the FBI went to work and they found these guys. I think. They were out of Jersey, who were basically buying regular jerseys at motels or whatever, uh, doing some process to them, and then selling them to Tops. So Tops was getting duped himself. But they, these guys have all been arrested. So I don't know what happens to the cards that have already been sold. That's a whole other issue. See, <laughs> okay, this is why I keep all my old T-shirts because I'm, you know, someday maybe if I, you know, sell a lot of books, I'll become famous and they'll take little snippets of my T-shirts that my daughter will and sell them somewhere. It's, it's funny when they came out with those cards. I was like, it's pretty nice, you know, a piece of the jersey. And then you read the back; it says game used or this or whatever. It doesn't really tell you what game they use it on. Just says game used, authentic. I've always looked for dirt on these things. They look brand new. How can they be game used? It's like I, I've got so many cards with jerseys on them. Not one of them has a speck of dirt on them. Yeah, but if the jersey gets dirty, it stays brown, kind of. You know. Well, I think what happened was Tops was also was suspicious as they were getting the jerseys in. They realized that the way it looked dirty didn't seem right. It kind of looked like it was fake, a fake worn jersey, and that's eventually what where. They contacted the FBI because of that. Any other questions from the? Uh... First of all, I haven't I haven't opened a pack of cards since the late fifties, sixties. 
And one thing I remember the baseball cards with the gum, and again, it's in the late 50s, early 60s, the gum left a residue that I loved <laughs> on the gloves. And I can't imagine not having that now. Because it was just a very, it was a very, very light, I don't know if anybody knew. Yeah. And it just, it was a great feel to the cards. I had no idea the gum actually damaged the cards, but the residue just gave the cards a great feel. Well, I think about how all the dentists feel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one question. Do you know anything about, the, they had an auction tops about 20 years, 15, 20 years ago. Why did they dispose of their, of, I guess, a portion of their archives? Well, as I understood it, I mean, because I was working with them at the time, and, and they and they had a couple of, you know, and I think part of it was they just had so much stuff, and and um, they thought that you know they weren't going to archive it themselves, um, and so they they thought that you know the, the the collecting market would really enjoy the opportunity, and they had you know not only. You know, like neat photographs, the original photographs, and and um, uncut sheets, and and all the these things, artwork. right? And original artwork, you know, those cartoons and things like that. But also all, a lot of the non-sports stuff that they did, you know, from the wacky packages and some of the other uh, tops products over the years that were, you know, as beloved by a lot of collectors as well. And um, I, I remember, I, I think they did pretty well with the, with the uh, with the auction. I actually, I can speak to that point since yes. I worked at Tapas. This is, this is Ira Friedman, by the way. He's still at to this day. And back around the time of this auction, uh, the company was approached by an entrepreneur. Uh, his name is Arlen Ettinger, who runs Gurney's situation house in Gurney City. And he persuaded the, the chairman at the time, Arthur Shorn, uh, to put a lot of this stuff up for sale. And I think the chairman came to the realization that we, we couldn't properly archive this material, that it was deteriorating over time. It was disappearing for one reason or another. And it had some value. And the company being a for-profit-based operation thought, you know what? Maybe we could make a couple of dollars. Maybe we could share some of this great material with fans out there. Uh, because again, we couldn't preserve the property. We need archives, we need archives, we need proper storage facilities and conditions to do it the right way. And the company felt it, it just didn't have the wherewithal to make that happen. So uh, the auction was quite successful and surpassed. Everyone's expectations. I think the bidding generated bidding sometimes. Yeah, I think in total we actually generated over a million dollars at that time, and this is probably close to twenty-five years ago. And uh, but interestingly enough, within a year or two, many of those same articles that were auctioned at the Tops auction were subsequently sold and auctioned to other parties for. Whole lot more than I think they were just a few years older. Well, I'm, st- I'm holding on to my loss. <laughs> 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 the Tops have a working relationship 
with uh, the baseball, football, and basketball Hall of Fame to contribute some of their material to, to those. And I know the Museum of Art has a collection of every top baseball artist. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Ira, would you, would you know? I know we've had things contributed to the baseball. Yeah, because there's a lot of top stuff at, the, at, at Cooperstown. And companies have relationships with various small things during the course of when it came time to write about some more recent players, how do you address steroid use and things like that? You just avoid it altogether, or I'm sorry, again. when it came time to you know write about some of the more recent players, did you address any you know, steroid use and anything like that, or um, just avoid that? I, I'm trying to remember when when we wrote about a rod. If, if, if I mean, I, I I don't think that we put you know the steroids, uh, you know, because it really wasn't. We we weren't going to get into some of the issues, I guess, right. of of uh, you know what was going on, um, and, and it was you know it's not the right format, I guess, for that. Right. Well, great, great. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll see how it all kind of. Shakes out. Uh, I, th- I think pretty soon. I, I, I don't know if, if this year, um, like I, I think there's a number of players who are eligible for Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, Mark McGuire has already been passed over, but uh, you know, it's going to be soon when Clemens and Bonds and you know a lot of these players and uh, you know you, you keep hearing from some of the sports writers who uh, you know say. Know, I would never vote for one of these guys, and, and and others say, well, you know, how are we supposed to know? Because we don't know definitively. I mean, some of the players say that it was it was rampant. You know, that, that most of the players and and a lot of the stars were. So, um, you know, we'll see how that all works out. No. <laughs> we, we, we uh, you know, it was we, we sort of had their, their uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, it wasn't the Yankees directly, but Major League Baseball and the, and the Players Association were involved, um, you know, uh, somewhat because we were, you know, showing their, their the cards that they had a license, uh, you know, a licensing agreement with, with Tops on that, but um, not directly with the Yankees, unfortunately. Any other questions? All right. Well, uh, we will be selling the book here. For those listening to the podcast, once again, the book is called Yankee Greats, 100 Classic Baseball Cards by Bob Woods, published by Stuart, Tabori, and Chang, a division of Abrams Books. And uh, you can pick it up pretty much anywhere, wherever these uh, – it's a beautiful gift book. Either if you're a Yankee fan yourself, I think you'll really enjoy it. And if you know any Yankee fan or just somebody who really has memories of baseball cards, as pretty much any anybody does, uh, it's really a beautiful gift book. Abrams does a great job with, with their books. Yeah, they, did, and they did a nice job. And, and one other little you know sort of aspect yes. to it while we you know, uh, give nice little concise um, uh, bios of each of the players and talk about their highlights at the bottom of, of each of the uh, uh, pages on, on each spread is something about the cards themselves. You know, uh, you know, 
odd things that happened that year that, that, that were showing the card, something about um, that card itself, maybe you know something with the photograph. Um, so there's a lot of, of baseball card uh, trivia in there as, as well as, as uh, you know biographies, you know, short biographies of all the players. There are actual cards packaged with them? And there are, I think there are five uh, cards uh, that are original cards that they produced just for the book. Uh, there's a, a, a Mickey Mantle card. Yeah. And, um, you know, which I'm sure will become collectible. <laughs> since we're talking about collecting. As they always that's do. That's the only place you can get them. <laughs> <laughs> so pick it up. Yankee Greats 100 Classic Baseball Cards by Bob Woods. And thank you so much, Bob, for coming.